Ain't you gonna press the flesh, Pappy? Do a little politicking? I'll press your flesh, you give with a son bitch. You don't tell your Pappy how to cut the electorate. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communicating. Oh, yeah. That's a powerful new force. Mm -hmm. Take it away, Junior. If I had a pistol, I'd shoot out your gizzard pen. Out of the fiery way, please. Well, Sonny, was you aiming to blow the other leg off? Contains precious gems valued at more than a million bucks. Is that another shot? Do mind if I, I just come aboard? I'd be a great lover of nature. However, we'll go into that later. Hey, and welcome to another crazy edition of um, the Pirate Professor Podcast. This particular episode is going out to my business and professional speaking class. This is actually what we're going to cover tonight is Chapter 2. So if you're not in that class, you know, don't feel any obligation to uh, listen to that unless you're just, you know... You want just to learn a little bit more about, you know, what we're going to talk about. Um, so, I'm going to go ahead and just calm, you know, throw myself under a bus here. Uh, this is the second time I've done this um, episode. Uh, well, not the second time. I realized I was about 20 minutes into this thing. Um... I had been talking, and you know, I was I was laying the philosophy on pretty thick, and I just happened to notice that the little bar that shows that I was recording was going by, and I wasn't actually recording. So I basically talked to myself for about twenty minutes, which you know, when you get to be my point in life, that's not that uncommon, but it is a little annoying. Uh, so. But I guess I got a practice run at it. But at the same time, you know, when you do this for the first time, it's like when you go back over and do it the second time, you never really know for sure if it's going to be as good. Most of us at some point have done something where we're, we've written something. You know, if you're in the world of, especially if, if you're a college student, you've written papers, something goes wrong and you lose everything and then you have to rewrite it. It just never feels like it's as good as it was the first time. So hopefully um, that's not going to be the case tonight. But if it is, you know what? You'll never know. Um, because it's just me. I'm the keeper of the secret. Anyway, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a little bit of a confession for you tonight that... Uh, to my business and professional speaking students, I'm not going to apologize, but I am going to offer a bit of, you know, my condolences that, you know, tonight, I'm not going to say that tonight's going to be the most interesting thing you've ever heard. It might be. 
Um, because the topic for this week is is organizational structures in the workplace. Now, I know when you hear something like understanding organizational structures in the workplace that you're probably just, you'd like you dropped everything, you sat down, and you're literally staring at your computer right now just going, tell me more. Oh, please, tell me more. You may be doing that. You may be also looking for something else to listen to at this point, but um, I'm going to try to make it as worth as much as I can. Uh, and here's why Here's why it's important. Like, I don't want to discount this thing because, and again, here's, here's a communication thing. Like, if you lead into something and you tell people, like, you know, you, sh- you really shouldn't have very high expectations for what you're about to experience, you know what? You're creating a self-fulfilling prophecy which they won't have very high uh, expectations for. You know, but there's the other side of that where it's also, you know, there's there's value in, in truthfulness. Like, look, this may not on the surface seem like it's going to be that interesting, but at the same time, these are the kind of things that we need to know. Like, this is why we covered some of the, we kind of touched on some communication theory, nonverbal communication, and, and the stuff from the other day about you know, different mediums and and senders and receivers and encoding and decoding because it's one thing to know, like, how to do something. And you can be good at doing something because you know how to do it. But the true craftsmen, the true artists, are the ones that not only know how to do something, but the why as well. And this is one of the things, like I, 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 full disclosure, I'm a media theory nerd. I love diving into that stuff. You know, how do we connect with people? What's working? What doesn't work? How does it like? How does how does it mix with psychology? How's it all working together? What's that magical recipe that we put together to get people to think things? Or change their minds, or all the things that we do, and we're going to get into some of that stuff tonight. We're, but except we're just going to be talking about sort of the organizational structures of things, which actually, you know, may actually be useful. Um, but before we get into that, I want, I want to talk about a little bit something else that kind of leads into it, uh, because when we think about workplaces, I was thinking about workplaces and reminded me of. Of a quote, um, I'm not going to quote it. I'll, I'll, I'll expand on it. I'll paraphrase it here in a minute. Um, it's this world that we live in, especially within like the business world. It's it's obviously a very sort of man-made world. Right? It's a structure that we live within, and the way that we function within it. Um, I've always, by default and by design, I've always lived fairly close to nature. I'm like, I live in this log cabin out in the middle of nowhere. My neighbors are measured in miles, and the way I get internet is magically beaming it up into space somewhere, or it gets, you know, I beam my signal up into space, or it beams it back to me, however you want to talk about that. It does I guess it does both. And somehow it makes it to you. 
now that all being said, um, I started thinking again. I started thinking about organizational structure, and I feel like I led much better into this the first time. But you know what? I'm just winging it at this point. I'm, 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 I'm showing my, I'm showing you my cards at this point. Um, one of the things I thought about was this book I read a while back um, by Elizabeth Gilbert. Now, Elizabeth Gilbert is known to a lot of people from a book she wrote, and it was later made into a movie called Eat, Pray, Love. A lot of people have uh, read that. But before she read that or wrote that book, she wrote another book called The Last American Man. It was this biography of this guy named Eustace Conway. And Eustace Conway is this very interesting character. And you can actually see him on one of these bad reality TV shows called Mountain Men. And it is truly a bad reality television show. Um, because, for one, the life I've lived in years past is similar. And enough that I can... Sp- Bought the bullshit when I see the bullshit, and that show is full of it. Um, but that doesn't take away from the guy. One of the characters of the uh, the show is the uh, is really the real deal. Um, you just don't get to see that side of him per se. You may see glimpses of it, but there's all the scripting and other garbage that goes along with reality TV that just sort of tries to make it dramatic when it's not. And. Uh, so if you get a chance and you and you kind of you dig the outdoor world and sort of this kind of you know self-reliance and living in the mountains and act, or living in a teepee in the mountains and if you grew up let me put it this way if you grew up and you read the book My Side of the Mountain or The Far Side of the Mountain whichever one I think there's there's one was a sequel if you read that book and you're like I want to be that guy Eustace Conway was that guy. Uh, he went through college living in a teepee. I'll just leave it at that. But uh, there was one of the things that he said within the context of that book that made it sort of, it was one of those moments that sort of made me think. And he said, um, the world of men is a world of boxes. I'm paraphrasing here. It's a world of squares and, and, and boxes. And by that, you, you you wake up every morning sleeping on top of a box. And it's inside of another box. Which is inside of a larger box. You know, we just call those boxes our bed or bedroom and our house. But then you get in another box and you drive to an even bigger box. And this box pays you. Um, and then maybe you, you know, if you've got an office job, you sit in a inside of a box, at a box, staring at a box with another little box in your pocket. And all of these things just eat up your time and your life. So when I first went to graduate school back in um, forever ago, uh, information technology was the big deal. And that was like the, that was the big up and coming thing that they really wanted to push people toward. So I actually started out in, um, even though I had an, a, a journalism undergraduate degree, I started going to um, grad school as an information technology major. 
And then I, I, I made it a semester and the thought occurred to me that if I continue on this path, I'm going to be destined to sit in a cubicle or a server closet or something like that for the rest of my life. And I had one of those moments of like, that's my idea of hell. Like, at this point in time, I've been known to cancel class on account of good weather. Like, today was one of those days that, you know, I just stared outside, and eventually I just turned the computer off because it was far too nice of a day to be staring at a stupid computer. Go outside, get some sun, get a little vitamin D. Right? It was one of those days. Um, and so I was thinking about that, but to kind of the follow up the other thing what Eustace Conway said he's like you know this world of squares is a world of men he said but the funny thing about squares is they don't really these boxes they don't they don't really show up that often in nature in the natural world I mean you may have um, you know you may have a rock that looks like a square you may have squares here right now and then but for the most part um, the things of nature are far more sort of they seem at least for us a little bit more chaotic but also Specifically, they um, there's a lot of circles. There's hardly any circles in the world of man-made stuff, but there's circles everywhere in nature. You know, the sun's a circle, the earth's a circle, the moon's a circle. You know, they travel in circles around each other. Everything is circular. Hurricanes are circular. We're in hurricane season right now. Um, and three weeks ago, I was on my boat and I rode out a hurricane. That was a it was a class one hurricane, so don't get me wrong, it, it was it was bad. Um but it wasn't that bad. You know, we're talking about, you know, fifty to seventy mile an hour winds. Though I I say that it at some point somebody at a clock that was, you know, winds over hundred miles an hour. Which is a lot of effing wind. Don't get me wrong about that. That causes damage. But what really started causing the most damage, at least in this particular instance, and really in most hurricanes, uh, is the the tidal surge of the water that comes in. Because the water, uh, when you get all that wind coming in, what it also does is it pushes up the water. And so you get a lot more water hitting the shore and it rises up. So in our particular case, I think the, the water rose like three feet. Which again doesn't seem like a lot, but three feet on the coast goes a long way. Um, you know, we 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 were okay, but it was fine. The dock held together where ours was. It didn't hold together where some of the others were. Um, you know, and there was a marina nearby that the boats were just completely trashed because their you know dock wasn't made to withstand that. Now, why am I bringing up circles and squares and hurricanes and all of these other things of such nature? Um, well, partially it's because that we're talking about organizational structure and kind of how, you know, things are designed and how just, you know, how they're put together. And some of the things that you might discover as we kind of talked tonight is that uh, the things that are more circular in nature especially from a communication standpoint, tend to do better. Things that are things that have the ability to ebb and flow with what's going on and they're not so rigid and 
square-like um, tend to do well, tend to hold up longer. And uh, we're going to get to that just right after this. And this, I'm going to play a song. This is from a duo of very lovely ladies, uh, simply known as Nick and Sam. They're twin sisters, and I am I'm good. You know, I'm friends with their father. Played music with him, and I remember these two girls. They're grown women now, but I remember them as just these two rambunctious like little kids that would like. I remember the first time I met them; they they weren't much older than toddlers, and they were just the kind of kids that would just crawl all over anybody who happened to be there. They knew no strangers back then, Um, and you know what? Today, they're two beautiful young women who make amazing music and they are from um, right here in Russellville you know they're traveling you know they're around out they're not here now they're out you know from California to Nashville making music Uh, so if you look them up Nick and Sam and it's N-I-K for Nick and then Sam S-A-M check them out this is their song Hurricane
Together we're a hurricane Flying, twisting when we're kissing We're spinning round and round Our feet never touch the ground All right, let's just go ahead and jump into it. This is what you're paying for, right? This is the early see if you're my students. If you're not, if you're not my students, you're not paying for squat. Uh, oh well, we're going to talk about organizational structures, and we're going to talk about sort of the community. Specifically, we're talking about the communication um, side of those things. There's there's five primary organizational structures when we're, and especially when we're talking. I guess it business, not in in kind of everything. You've got the, um, I'll just list them out and then we'll, we'll kind of unpackage one of them. You've got the traditional uh, models. You've got the human relations model. You've got something that's really close to the human relations model. It's called the human resources model, which may sound familiar. And then you've got the systems and contingency model. And, and then you've got the, the transformational model. Now, really quick, like the traditional model is something you're probably used to. This is the sort of old-style, top-down, chain of command. There's very structured up and down. Um, you don't bypass the chain of command. If you've ever been in the military, this is a very traditional um, sort of model. Um, you've got the human relations model, which focuses... A lot more, uh, which they came up with later because it it focuses a little bit more on um, keeping the employees happy. Like the traditional model came out of the industrial era, and they were just it's all about kind of efficiency. How do we become efficient in all things? And then we got the human relations model because they started moving towards just sort of kind of the the working production factory sort of. Uh, model and they started bringing in more you know white collar educated type folks and they realized that that didn't work very well with that the traditional structure just didn't really work that well and so they come up with this human relations thing which really has more to do with sort of, you know employee satisfaction and then you get into human relations which is more which kind of takes the the um, or the human resources which takes the human relations sort of a step further and it's focused on the employees, but then on top of that, it, it 
typically breaks them up into sort of more team-based. It's a team-based approach. And then you've got the system and contingency model, which sort of goes, you know what? There's kind of a place for everything. Like you can, and if you read the book, and we'll, I know, I'll hit this. Like you, it's pretty obvious the author's not a big fan of the traditional model. Kind of, you, you can see the language, and you can sort of, you know, read between the lines and the subtext. And you're like, this person really isn't a fan of this, and so they're kind of already um, diminishing it before even it's started. You know, but you know, different time, different era, and so the systems and contingency model, you know, says, you know. It may be the old way, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's always the bad way, depending on who you're dealing with and what what the thing that you're doing. It may be a good model. It might be. It might not be. You know, there also could be a room for something else. And then you've got the transformational model, which is something that's going to be a little bit more, um, well, transformational. It's the ones like, all right, what can we do new? Like, how do we change things like this is working this isn't working you know how do we evolve into something else and part of that is who you are as a human being and again the project that you're working on and maybe the culture you're coming out of may determine um if you know which which version you like working under um like straight out when i said that the author doesn't really like the traditional model if you look at the book you know the, the first thing they say is like if you like being told what to do and work well in a structured environment then the traditional organization might fit you the best you know so basically if you're just a yes man or woman and you don't want to think for yourself then the traditional model that's basically what they're saying there and you know that's that's i you know I think it's sort of a dumb way to approach that too. Like it feels like, you know, there's a time and a place for everything and maybe that's it. And I don't think we need to, you know, throw somebody, diminish them, you know, negate them, throw them under a bus or whatever. If that's the thing that works the best. Um, but again, the traditional model came out of the industrial revolution. This is where they're looking for efficient ways to do things. Um, there's a very structured sense of management. There's the thing that you do. There's things that you don't do. And, you know, we just go from that. Um, they get into even using, like, the scientific method on some of this stuff. You know, and so they want scientific selection of employees and standardized tasks. Which, again, this like, if you go back to Henry Ford and when they created the uh, assembly line you know or even if you get into fast food and this is where this world comes from I'm not paying you to think I'm paying you to do a very specific task or maybe I am paying you to think but I only want you to think about this one particular area like you're I don't want you thinking about anything else all right and so this this is the world that gets everything gets divided up into some sort of level of division of labor and chain of command you know you don't you don't skip your immediate supervisor to go talk to that person's supervisor supervisor after supervisor after supervisor and so you you stick within all that right we've all been in these worlds um at some point in time just they just want you to do it's structured it's they're not asking you to think they just want you to do a thing 
And these are also typically what we'd consider like a tall organization, like a horizontal or a flat organization is when there's a lot more autonomy and, you know, the boss may have an office in the same area as everybody else. You know, it's easier to communicate horizontally. Tall organizations, again, goes to this, this chain of command. Think about military. If you're in the army, you know, chances are the average private isn't going to get to go just walk into the general's office and have a conversation anytime they want to. There's a there's a method to getting information up and down that chain. Uh, so time goes on, though. You know, more people start getting college degrees, and they realize that you know people that tend to think for themselves don't just go along with the flow and they tend to be question stuff a little bit more and so this is where the human relations model comes around and so it's really a model that's designed to kind of keep people happy uh, and give them job satisfaction at some point and it really kind of focuses on the social and psychological needs of their employees and you could see this like an example of this one uh, at least a while back would have been like Southwest Airlines right they have a little bit more aut autonomy um, and you know it's sort of this idea that the 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 mood of the employees and the culture of the employees affects the productivity of the overall company um, and they're also, they want, you know, more personal relationships. It's so, you know, things are a little friendlier, more casual, happier, uh, less strict on kind of all fronts. Well, the thing that comes after that is the human resources organization, where they basically take uh, the human relations model and they just take it one step further and that's simply to say, you know what, we're going to give you this sort of more kind of limited autonomy. You're you're not you're going to have the freedom to make decisions, but on top of that, we're going to break you into teams of workers. And so you get um, more ability to make teams, and you've got this guy named Douglas McGregor. And he came up with a few um, kind of, it was sort of criticisms of the traditional models and the other models. And he said, you know, with the traditional model, most messages flowed downward from the managers to subordinates. And it's often those messages were, you know, emails and their TPS reports and whatever it happens to be are, are inadequate for the person who's getting them at the bottom. And the other criticism, criticism for traditional things, you know, it's it's hard for the person at the bottom to get something up to the person at the top. Like this person at the bottom's doing the job. They're the you know quote unquote boots on the ground. They have a, a, a fundamental understanding of what's going on. And because of that lack of communication, you tend to sort of have this us versus them sort of scenario. And at least with the subordinates, there tends to be more distrust with the management and so he comes up with this other idea which you know what he called theory why and it was like you know what you should be able to make this you know it shouldn't just be the person at the top making the decision it should you should give 
people more autonomy to make decisions like and it's more like hey this is what i want you to accomplish what i want you to do is figure out the way to do that now if you need something to help you do that you come to me and i will facilitate the assistance you need to get this job done but i want you to use your creativity and your ingenuity and i want you to figure out like the best possible solution to this problem and that tends to work really well. And actually, even when you talk about the military, you know, good leadership often does that. It's not just delegating uh, responsibility. It's giving kind of a clear and concise objective. Like, look, this is what we need to accomplish. This is the level that we need to accomplish. Now, how we get there, I leave in your hands. And I will, as, as your supervisor, I'm going to give you... You know the autonomy to make these decisions but i'm also going to give you the support you know and i will guide you along the way if i think you're making a you know a dumbass decision i'm going to tell you that maybe that's not the best route and try to nudge you over here a little bit uh but largely my job is to coach you not direct you and you know all of these things sort of work together, and you get into even even into he starts getting like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which if you remember that, or if you don't remember that, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he starts getting into things like the 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 bottom of that that pyramid is like physiological needs. The first things that we want as human beings, we want like food, water, shelter. We want shelter, you know. Um, we need we need to be able to have the very bare basic things to survive uh the thing that comes above that is shelter i mean uh, security safety above that belongingness and love and needs you know intimate relationships friends things like that beyond that we're looking for things like you know feelings of accomplishment level of you know things that boost our self-esteem and you know, and finally, at the top of the you know Maslow's pyramid, we've got self-actualization, where we you know we achieve our full potential. And so, he's looking at these things more toward that um, kind of perspective. It's like you know, if we break people into teams, we give them all more autonomy. There's a greater chance that they're going to be able to achieve more. Like we basically. Um, we're we're throttling their productivity if we're just kind of saying hey you're going to do it exactly the way we want in that traditional model it's we're just going to we're, it may function but it'll never be as good as it could be so then we jump over to the contingency model and the contingency model systems and contingency models what we said earlier which is like you know maybe there's not necessarily a best way to do things and depending on the culture that you're dealing with the people you're dealing with, the task that you're dealing dealing with, um, you may or may not want people to have a lot more input, or you may want them to have more input. The, the The contingency model is like, look, there's no one right way to do everything, um, and so we get into all kinds of stuff, and it's all in the books. So I'm not going to read it to you, but it's like things like the whole is, is more than the sum of its parts. Again, this is like what we'd call synergy. Um, both formal and informal communication is central to an organization's uh, success. Formal communication is, you know, you're typing a memo to your sub supervisor. Informal is you're sitting around the break room talking to, you know, your coworkers and trying to figure out a problem. 
Um, and all of these things are working sort of. It just sort of depends on what you what you want. Um, but overall, it views you know communication and feedback as essential. You know, as one person can actually affect the entire organization and and the overall culture if you know they can affect it for good or for ill. So from that model, you tend to get a little bit more flexibility. Now, finally, we get into the what we'd call the transformational model and these are it takes the teamwork to a, a different level in that you they're almost independent teams You're, you have an overall objective but these are small non-bureaucratic teams that work on their own project and you know they work autonomously um, they're all they're kind of cells and they all do their own thing and they're all working through this thing and then take it, you know, for that you kind of basically end up with sort of something that's called, a, you know, a multi-unit organization, which completely decentralized, and it just allows things to work and everybody to work. And again, it depends on what your organization is trying to accomplish on which one of these particular models is best. Once you even take it further with that, is kind of what we got right going right now is virtual. Um, Virtual is a bad word. Virtual kind of sort of means like it's there, but not really there. It's like virtual reality. Um, virtual organization, it's um, like we're talking about education right now, going virtual. No, you're still having op an opportunity to um, get an education. It's not a virtual education. It may be a virtual classroom because you're you're interacting with it through a you know a square, you know several squares. But that's you know that's where we are right now. So, um, all of these things just sort of work together in different ways and different things. And there's some other uh, there's some definitions toward the end of the chapter. But that, as far as what we're concerned right now, it's, they're not that relevant to you. Um, what I need you to think about right now is where you are as an overall in your organization like if you have a job try to sort from these kind of pick out which organizational model that you're in um there's a good chance you're in a traditional model uh typically the, the smaller the organization kind of the flatter the organization and so you may have more access to the boss you know who knows it just kind of depends on what it is um and beyond that i'm not just gonna i'm not going to um bore you with the details I'm going to set you free. And you're probably pretty relaxed right now. You probably want to take a nap. You're like, you know, Professor, that was enthralling. I've, I've never really considered um, whether or not I was in a systems and contingency, you know, organization or virtual organization or exactly how flat or tall my organization or communication was but I'm glad you've enlightened me on this particular piece of information because my life is more fulfilled now as a result of that well you're welcome you're absolutely welcome and so what I want you to do now dear students friends is I want you to meditate on these things 
I want you to consider that which you have learned today. And I want you to listen once again to my friend Hutto, who has a bunch of different recordings from a bunch of different artists. And I want you to find a state of relaxation. I want you to sort of dig deep all the chaos of the world. Don't do it while driving. Just relax. What I'd like you to do is to just allow yourselves to follow my voice. And I'd like you to become very aware of just your feet. Focusing on just your feet. Very aware of how they feel. And now focusing on just your toes. Moving your toes. Just your toes. Very aware of how it feels to just move your toes. Perhaps aware of the fabric of your socks. Perhaps the weight of your shoes. As you move your toes, perhaps aware of the feelings of confinement. And now, allowing your toes to become quiet and comfortable. And allowing those feelings of quietness and comfort to move from your toes, over your feet, around your ankles, up into the calves of your legs. Feelings of naturalness, of comfort and relaxation. Moving from the calves of your legs to your knees. Releasing the muscles, the ligaments around the kneecaps. And allowing those feelings of naturalness, comfort and relaxation to flow into your thighs. Releasing the powerful muscles of the thighs and allowing your legs to be completely relaxed and comfortable. Allowing those feelings of naturalness and comfort to flow into your lower abdominal area, gathering at the base of your spinal column and allowing them to move up your spinal column so that your entire abdominal area is releasing and relaxing comfortably and naturally. And those same feelings moving up your spinal column to your ribcage, circling forward around your ribcage so that you find your breathing is deep and natural. Deep and natural. And those same feelings continuing up your spinal column to your shoulders, flowing outward along your shoulders, down the length of your arms, to your hands and fingers, releasing 
any tension or negativity that may have been trapped in those muscles, allowing it to flow down the length of your arms to your hands and fingers away from your body, replacing it with the naturalness, the comfort, the relaxation, and those same feelings continuing up your spinal column into your neck area, releasing and relaxing the muscles of the neck, coming to the back of your scalp, up to the top of your head, tumbling down over your forehead, temples, eyes, releasing the tiny muscles around the eyes, the eyelids, coming down over your cheeks and jaw, perhaps parting your teeth slightly so that your tongue is comfortable in the floor of your mouth, so that naturally and deeply throughout your entire being, floating freely, deeply relaxed, always knowing in this relaxed state that you are a strong, loving, intelligent person, that you have the strength to reach the goals that you set for yourself. In this deeply relaxed state, I'd like you to become even more comfortably relaxed. I'm going to be counting down from 10 to 1 so that you might become more relaxed. You may even see the numbers as if you were on an elevator, or you may not, but you will become more and more deeply relaxed as I count. Going to begin counting now. Thank you.